Welcome to episode four, where Routhog describes Mary's desperate escape from Mr. Wolf's house and how she is saved by her four brothers. Night has now fallen on their campsite. Hogg begins a long narrative romp about a later resident of the Haint House, a fella called Jock, the masterful thief. During this story, you'll meet John Spellman. Hogg, is that how he ended that story or not? I mean, so what happened? John's friend, Council Register. Sorry, I got held up. Had to explore an old house a fella told me about. So, I missed that story about Jock, the masterful thief. Good story, though. And his trail buddy, Routhog. There was another door with words carved above it. said, be bold, be bold. Routhog had told me about how Mary Rose had stepped into that closet with three barrels in it, and she'd taken the lid off the first barrel, and she saw that it was filled near to overflow with a thick red liquid. And Mary Rose, Routhog said, she dipped the tip of her little finger in the very top of the crimson fluid and turned it up close to her nose. It smelled a good deal like blood. She carefully shook some drops off her finger and watched them fall back into the barrel and then lifted the finger still spotted with red to within an inch of her lips. And she reached out very gently with the tip of her tongue and touched it to the moistness on her finger. It tasted like blood. Happy she'd not swallowed any, but disgusted by what she had discovered, Mary spat out the taste on her tongue, shook her finger in the air, and wiped it on the hem of her long skirt, and then she jammed the lid back on the barrel. And with growing horror, Mary lifted the lid on the second barrel, and she saw that it was filled with bones, finger bones, hand bones, leg bones, pelvises, and skulls, and the third barrel was filled with pieces of skin and women's long hair, most all of it the same auburn shade as Mary's own. She jammed the third lid back in place and turned to flee from the house, her heart banging in her chest and her stomach beginning to heave. She ran down the long hall toward the top of the stairs, gagging and whimpering, trying to push back gasps of revulsion and anger and fearsome disappointment. And just as she passed the central section of the long store, a series of windows that looked out on the forest beside the house, she was stopped in her tracks and spun around by the ricocheting sound of a high, piercing, desperate yowl. And looking through a window, Mary saw a man hauling a young woman up out of the woods by her hair. She had lost her balance and fallen partway to the ground and was being yanked and jerked up toward the house by a tall, dark man who looked exactly like Mr. Wolf. Mary heard the terrified woman scream again and again, Stop! Stop! Do not kill me! Shut up, snarled Wolf, turning back and pushing her flat to the ground with the sole of one of his high black boots. Shut up. Mary's only thought was to escape. She fumbled down the stairs and across the foyer towards the front door, but it was too late. 
Wolf was dragging the other woman up the veranda steps to the same door. Frantically, Mary hid in the only place she could spot in the second she had left to her. She plastered her back against the side of the large staircase and prayed that Wolf would head up to his den on the second floor and not see her. And that is exactly what happened. Wolf dragged and bounced the woman up the stairs as Mary pushed herself tighter and tighter against the wall. Until at a point nearly above Mary's head, the young woman grabbed the railing with one hand and Wolf could not pull her loose. He hissed at her, let go, woman, let go, but she would not, so he beat her on her knuckles with his fist, but still she would not let go, and she screamed again, no, no, do not kill me, do not. Let go, Wolf bellowed in rage, and he reached in under his frock coat and pulled out a sharp, heavy blade, and with one enormous stroke, severed the poor girl's hand from her wrist and hauled her body, squirting blood up the final stairs and down the hall. And above Mary, the severed hand clung briefly to the railing, then lost its quivering grip and slipped over the outer edge of the railing and fell onto Mary's left shoulder, where it stuck to the fabric of her blouse and slid down across her breast. Without knowing what she was doing, Mary clutched the still warm hand in both of hers and fled through the open front door and down the veranda stairs, and as she ran into the woods and along the path that would lead her back home, she heard the poor woman's death rattles chattering through the trees behind her. Hey, John, said Roundhouse, John, look at here, look at here, we got that fire going again. And he stood up and began pulling some bigger pieces of wood toward the flames. Uh, Hog, I asked, it is that how Council ended his story? No, said Roundhog. Well, well, how did he end it? Did Mary make it home? Yeah. And, and she told her brothers and they sent the sheriff out to Wolf's place. Nah, there was no sheriff. In those days, people took care of their own problems. Well, so what happened, Hog? What, what, what did Council tell you? He told me that the next day, sharp at the appointed time, 3 p.m., Mr. Wolf appeared at Mary's house for tea and cookies. And for this occasion, all four of Mary's brothers were present. As the six of them sat around the table, chatting and chewing, Mary said, Mr. Wolf, didn't you tell me that you have studied the workings of the human mind? Why, yes, Mary, yes, I have. I've studied psychology, biology, neurology, and the hidden meanings of apparently random thoughts. Well then, Mr. Fox, maybe you could tell me about a dream I have had, because aren't dreams a product of the mind? Oh, indeed they are, Mary Rose, and I would love to hear about anything that goes on in that pretty little head of yours. Well, all right. Last night I had this dream, and it has been bothering me all day, and it must mean something, but, but I don't know what. Maybe I can help you, my dear. Well, I hope so. I, I dreamed I was walking in the woods and gathering flowers. I was happy and excited, even after I got a little lost. 
Oh, Mary, lost in the forest. That may have many meanings. Well, I'm sure it does, Mr. Wolf, but that's not the part that really interests me. I was in woods that I had not been in before, and I came across a large house. Oh, a house, Mary, a dream house. That often reveals the soul. That is very interesting. I'm sure it is, Wolf, but don't tell me now. Wait until I finish. This house was a large two-story oakwood house, and at first I thought I should not even approach it. Until I saw words carved in the wood above the door, it said, Be bold, be bold. Oh, Mary, how could that be so? <laughs> that was not so. Well, of course it was so, because it is my dream. So please, please, Wolf, do not comment until I'm finished. That's what I remember. It said, be bold. So I was. I knocked at the door, and when no one responded and the door was not locked, I went into the house. Oh, Mary, carved words are meant to frighten people away. That was not right. That was not so. It is my dream. Wait until I am finished. Now, I saw no one on the first floor of this finely kept house, but I sensed that there were people on the second floor, and I climbed the stairs and found another door with words carved above it. These words said, be bold, be bold, but not too bold. So <laughs> I just had to peek in there. It was a man's bedroom, Mr. Wolf, a man's bedroom, and I knew I did not belong there, so I turned to leave. But there was another door with words above it. Be bold, be bold, but not too bold, lest that thy heart's blood should run cold. Oh, Mary, Mary, Mary. That was not so. It cannot be so. And at that, Mary's largest brother rose halfway out of his chair, and Mary silenced Wolf with a finger to her lips, and she continued. Now, Wolf, I was a bit frightened, but I opened that last door, and in a large closet I found three barrels filled with blood and bones and skin and hair, and I started to run from that place. Then I saw a man, oh, this is the hardest part to understand, Wolf, a man who looked so very much like you. I saw a man haul a young woman up out of the woods and take her upstairs and kill her, but not before he had cut off her hand. Oh, Mary, that was not a dream. I'm sorry to tell you that, but it is a worrisome nightmare, so... It cannot be so. It cannot mean anything. God forbid that that was so. Wolf, said Mary, my poor sick fox, you are a sick man. It was so. It was so. And it is so. And here's the hand to show. And out from under the table where she'd kept it on her lap, Mary produced the dead woman's hand, and she placed it on the cookie plate in front of Mr. Wolf. 
And Wolf looked at that hand, and he looked at Mary, and he looked at Mary's four brothers, and he began to tremble and shake, and his teeth to chatter. And Mary's four brothers picked up the outfoxed Randall Wolf, and they carted him outside, and they took care of him. But John, how they took care of him, I shall not tell you lest that thy heart's blood should run cold. Routhog stopped talking. I sat silently gazing into the fire, musing whether Mary's brothers had burned or roasted Mr. Wolf or, or what else they might have done to him. Maybe they had brought him back to his house there in the woods to finish him. That house, that big house, the same one I had stood next to only a bit down the trail I had just walked that day. Hog, I asked, uh, did they finish him off in his own house? I ain't going to tell you, Groundhog said. Too awful, too awful. Oh, I'm sorry I started this. No, no, tell me, how'd they kill him? I don't know that they did, at least not right away. So, ever since then, ever since that once time, that house has been sitting empty, I asked. Is that right? No, not according to counsel. Oh, don't tell me that Mary got married to some nice guy and moved in there. Oh, she didn't, did she? No. I bet some family moved in there, right? No. Well, well, what happened to the place, Hog? Auction. Got bought up by a wealthy old fella named Rich, Jasper Rich. Him and his old wife lived there. Well, I said, I, I hope they didn't have any daughters. No. Said Hogg, no sons neither, only a hired man. Lived in a little shack away from the house, just about over there. And Routhog pointed behind me down the trail into the woods. Silence. I tossed a few pieces of wood on the fire. So, said Roundhog, that hired man's name was Jock, young fellow. Old man Rich treated him pretty mean. Oh, did he die on the place? Who? The hired man, Jock. No, liked to die from starvation and mean treatment, liked to but started using his natural-born brain and ended up a lot better off than he began. Sounded to me like Routhog was going to start up again. Like counsel, Routhog is a storytelling skink. Like one of those little lizards, he can change his look and his shape. He can absorb a story and let it back out in some fresh mix of the way he heard it and the way he wants to tell it. So, I just sat and waited for this new story to begin. 
Once time, announces Rat Hog, once time, Jock, he's just beginning to feel that he's going to maybe die on this place if he didn't quit his job or leave. And then old man Rich stopped by Jock's little shack one evening and says, Jock, me and the old lady is waiting to take a trip tomorrow, wanting to go someplace, got to be someplace, take care of some things. So I want you to watch over everything while we're gone, feed all the animals, get the grounds all cleaned up, make sure nobody gets into my house or barn or steals anything belongs to me. Do you think you could do that, Jock? Well, probably, says Jock, what's in it for me? Well, says Rich, you'll have a roof over your head while I'm gone, because I'm going to let you keep staying in this nice little shack, and you'll still have a job when I get back, just like you got now. Well, okay, says Jock, thinking I got no place to go and nothing to take with me if I went. Okay, he says, you got a deal. But he's thinking to himself as old man Rich goes up to the big house that, that that old codger's liable to have a lot of money and valuables up there that Jock could get his hands on while Rich and his old lady are off in town or wherever it is they're going. So next morning, Mr. and Mrs. Rich depart. Jock goes and he gets two of his buddies, Tom and Dick, from another homestead way past tiny Tillman's place, tells Dick and Tom he has a plan. He's going to sneak into Rich's house and steal a bunch of his gold and valuables and money while they keep good watch outside. Tells them he'll split the proceeds three ways if they'll just whistle and stomp their feet if they see somebody coming. And they say, well, sure, we could do that, but, but we don't want to get caught neither. So, Jock, they tell him, if you run into some trouble in the house, you've got to warn us. You've got to shout and stomp your feet from inside, and we'll know to skip out of harm's way. And Jock says, sure, he can do that. So, Jock, later that afternoon, he sneaks into old Rich's house, passes up stealing furniture and clothes and stuff like that, and looks all around till he finds Rich's treasure room secret little room all filled up with money and gold and jewels, more than even three men can carry. And Jock is so happy, he starts singing, jumping up and down and stomping his feet, whistling and shouting. But outside, Tom and Dick hear that. They figured old Rich must have got home and come into the house some private way and caught Jock in the act. So they scoot right out of there, don't stop running until they're past where they live. Then so when Jock comes out of the house, his pockets in his snatch bag full of stuff, he can't believe his friends have run off. Well, from now on, he says to himself, I work by myself. Plus, that way there's going to be nobody to split this stash with. And he goes back into the house three more times to steal as much money and stuff as he can find. The next morning... Jock is in his little shack down there by the creek, sitting at his table, counting his new-got wealth. And old man Rich comes busting through the door, shouting, Jock, you weren't doing your job. I just found out somebody stole a bunch of money and jewelry from me while I... Then he sees what's all over Jock's table. 
Jock, it was you. You stole it. That's my stuff. That's my money. No, it's not yours, said Jock. I stole it. I worked hard for it. I am a masterful thief, so it belongs to me. <laughs> masterful thief, snorts old Rich. You're nothing but a regular crook and a dumb one at that. I'm going to tell the sheriff on you, and you'll spend the rest of your life in jail. Oh, yes, says Jock. How are you going to prove that this is yours? And even if it was in your house, what are you going to say when the sheriff asks where you got it all? All these rings and jewels and watches with other people's names on them and all this cash? You know and I know, and the sheriff is surely going to figure out that you stole it or cheated somebody out of it or both. No, old man Rich, this wealth is not yours. This wealth is mine. Oh, and by the way, sir, I quit. I'm not working for you anymore because I'm going to make my living as a masterful thief. Ha, <laughs> ha, says old Rich. Ha, ha, ha. You ain't no big thief. You're barely a small thief, a start-out thief. Next thing you try, you're going to get caught and killed, or at least put in jail. Oh, yes, says Jock, yeah. I bet I could steal anything and not get caught. You just name something, I'll steal it. All right, says Rich. How much you want to bet? Well, I broke in. I says, ah, uh, he wanted to bet $2,200.91, right? No, said Rout Hoggis is not counsel. Wrong. Jock says, listen, I bet I can steal your favorite horse, that roan, right out of your barn. And if I do steal it, and I will, I get to keep the horse and you give me a bushel basket full of gold. Oh, that's a deal, says Rich. That's a deal. But you got to steal a horse tonight and I get to blow your head off if I catch you at it. Done, says Jock. Go say goodbye to your horse. Well, old wealthy man Rich runs off and hires 14 guards and tells them they're going to start guarding his horse, and when they see anybody try to steal it, they got to blast him to smithereens. He saddles up that roan, and he puts it in a stall in the barn, puts four guards in front of the barn, four in the back of the barn, two on each side of the barn, and two more inside with the horse. The two inside guards are the biggest and strongest and nastiest, and they're paid double. And Rich says one of them has to stand there all night and hold the horse's reins. The other one has to sit up in the saddle till daybreak. Well, that night, as Rich and his wife go to bed, he says, Ah, oh, that no-count rascal jock is going to get what he deserves tonight. Just hope it's not too noisy. And the two old people sleep. The night grows chilly, then cold. The guards outside build fires and throw blankets around their shoulders, and it grows still colder. Long time after midnight, an old woman holding a feeble lantern and carrying a big load on her back comes creeping down the wagon trail past Rich's big house and barn. 
She sees the fires and the guards, and she gets as close to, as she dares. She knows the problems with rough men at night and sits down on a stone. One of the guards at the front of the barn sees her there, and he takes a torch down to check her out. What's up, old mother? Why are you sitting here? Well, I'm very cold and tired and too far from where I hope to be tonight, she answers. The guard steps in closer and raises his touch, torch higher to see her face. It's a gaunt face, dirty, and has one very large and very hairy wart above her right lip. Guard sees that one of her hands trembles with palsy. 